Big Fluff. Hello. Sorry. Who sir are you sir? I'm Padme. Mr. Jaja Binks. You're Gungan, aren't you? Uh-huh. How'd you end up here with us? My long no. Mr. Day starting pity oaky day with the brisky morning munching, then boom! Getting very scared and grabbing that Jedi and pow! Misa here. Huh, Misa getting very, very scared. I'm Joe Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Lining Playback, a podcast where we will be re examining some uh, much maligned films to see if we can find a silver lining yeah i think you pretty much said it all it's uh we're gonna look at movies that have a bad rep for whatever reason and see if there's anything anything good about them to talk about <laughs> yeah and we uh i think we have an ambitious start here uh we decided to go to one of the most maligned films uh of our lifetimes <laughs> really yeah and i'm even gonna say somewhat unfairly oh Oh, is that that feels like a spoiler? That feels like you're just yeah. I'm I'm gonna say some like well, let's it, we're gonna talk about uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, as as way of a background, uh, you and I are both of a similar age. Uh, we're yes, we're children of the '80s. Very and, true. And so, you know, for me, like the original Star Wars trilogy is something that I don't even have a memory of watching. Like the first time, like I, I just, they no, always same. existed. They always existed as a set. Like I remember my grandparents had the VHS tapes mm-hmm. and I would just watch them one after the other. They all were just one block of story to me. And I always knew all of the things. Right. Yeah. It's Star Wars. Um, I have two older brothers that are like of almost the previous generation. They're sort of like right in the heart of gen x whereas like we're right on that cusp of gen x millennial uh so they um they were six and eight when star wars came out oh wow so they were like right at that age and they were like or no sorry six and four i had a little bit off but um and then so like when uh empire came out in 80 and when jedi came out in 83 like they were like the perfect ages for that like they were 10 and 8 and they were you know so on so they were like right in that that sweet spot to like really be Star Wars people. So needless to say, it was a huge part. Like they had all the toys that I like. There were some of the like the, they were hand me downs to me when I played with them and everything. So yeah, Star Wars always a big big part of everything that I've done. Yeah, and I I don't even remember exactly when. I don't know the the idea like murmurs. I feel like there was like growing up this idea that there. You know, it seems funny now, but I my memory as a kid was like this idea that like George Lucas had really thought out these prequels. They always existed <laughs> in his mind. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And it was just if he would ever get around to making them. And yeah, I, I, I can actually remember. Um, and this explains how popular I was in school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in I was in I the middle of a threesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was having sex with the head cheerleader and the captain of the soccer team <laughs> simultaneously. Um, it was great. Yeah. Uh, no, I was at the um, uh, all state sectional chorus 
concert. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, all the cool kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the kids from one of the other schools like had a Star Wars tie on because we weren't supposed to, you know, shirt and tie and everything. So I was like, oh, cool, Star Wars fan. And he was the first one that said that there might, you know, that they were already talking about making the uh, the prequel trilogy. And this is still eighth grade. It was what, 92, something like 94 around there. Um, so it's a few years out. So this is still right before they released even the uh, special editions, uh, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, which was the first time I ever saw a Star Wars movie in the theater was those re-releases. Like, I, I yeah. remember going to see those. and Oh, I was, I yeah, and that was awesome. Yeah. Until, uh, <laughs> except for Return of the Jedi, because they cut out the damn Yubnup song, and I was pissed about that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so this movie came out, uh, I, I have, it was May 19th, 1999. Uh, it was released. Uh, we were in high school at that point. I, I have a vivid memory. I don't know what your memory is, but, uh, Lars, who I do the hobo radio podcast with, uh, I know Lars. Yeah. Uh, he and I were friends in high school. Uh, he, he was the Star Wars guy. Like, I mean, all of us love Star Wars, but he was like, reading uh all of the you know extended universe stuff right. and and so we went opening night uh to the uptown theater in uh, in washington dc which is one of those old school like one theater mm-hmm. the curtains open uh and it was opening day we stood in line to wait to get seats uh and i just remember like going remember with his family yeah right to get seats <laughs> man that is the best thing about uh these modern times is just like the idea of assigned seating uh, movie theaters was such a game changer <laughs> for like, you could just show up, you know, there's still going to be 45 minutes of previews, but at least like you don't have to right. you like fight to, because uh, on a side tangent, I remember sitting in practically the front row to watch the third Lord of the Rings movie because my friends and I had not shown up early enough to get a good seat. <laughs> Uh, which that movie is long. I don't know if you. Are yeah, it's a long it. movie to crane uh, your neck straight up at the the <laughs> ceiling. But uh, but no. So we stood out like, and I just remember like my memory of this is just his. Like I was excited. Obviously, I was super pumped to to see a Star Wars, a new Star Wars movie in a theater, which is fucking mind blowing. And then yeah. um, I had to have Lars there, who's like telling me that like. Because he, he had all the the info, you know, of like, this is what he thinks is going to happen. This is what he's read. These are the extended universe novels they might pull from. He had all these theories and stuff. And we had a lot of time to kill. <laughs> and <laughs> I just remember, like, I remember being in the theater. I remember the curtains opening. Uh, I remember being very excited. And I remember that excitement fading pretty quickly. And I remember being in a theater of fans that were very predisposed to like this movie and feeling very much like an outsider in that I was just like, I am not enjoying this. And it seemed like everybody else is. And I don't really know why they are. (laughs) And it (laughs) lost me pretty quickly. And I did not enjoy any of it, really. (laughs) Like, I loved Darth Maul. Uh, Well, who didn't? I mean, yeah, yeah. He was great. Other than that, I found it to be kind of a drag. And I have never revisited this movie <laughs> since 1999. <laughs> it just exists in my memory. I saw the other two in the theater. I kept going to see them. But uh, of course it. And the funniest thing that I remember is leaving the theater and listening to my friend Lars try to justify in his own mind that he had liked what he had seen. And it was it was like both hilarious and sad 
uh, the amount of like, well, I mean, you know, like, I think... I think they're setting up stuff and it, there's, there's a good foundation. And I, you know, the pod racing, like it's just like watching someone who needed this movie to be good, uh, <laughs> who did not like it, but could not admit that to himself, which in obviously like, uh, now he's, he's much more honest about it, but it was, that's what I remember is just driving home and listening to him, try to sell himself on this movie. Uh, but what about you? What's, what's your, um, so I think I was more in the, the Lars camp of the oh. way I interpreted the movie. So this is also, this is the first like event movie I can remember, like really going to and like, you know, where, cause seeing the, the re the special edition re-releases like that didn't feel like as much of an event because well, you knew I'd seen them a hundred times, yeah, a thousand times the theater was packed and that was cool. And you know, like I remember we saw a new hope, like the first night it came out, but then, like, with each subsequent one, like, we caught it a couple of days later or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, and, yeah, and I was super excited. I was I was a big Star Wars guy, but I wasn't, like, reading the Extended Universe books. Um, loved the Super Star Wars series for Super Nintendo. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, those games were great. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, you know, definitely like Star Wars. Definitely, you know knew the star Wars universe and like all that, but I wasn't like reading all the books and, you know, I don't even think I had a computer at my house at that point to have the internet to like check message boards or anything like that. No, that's yeah. I was trying to, that, I think that is why Lars was my resource. Like we had a computer, but I think we had like AOL and it was limited <laughs> the amount of time that like we could use yeah, no, the family I, I didn't computer. Get, I didn't get my first like computer for until I graduated high school. So <laughs> But yeah, Lars was I'm definitely old. my internet on this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but I saw it and I think like to sort of get ahead of ourselves with the silver lining, um it's so much style over substance that movie. Mhm. Oh, like, for sure. Everything about it. Um and I think that like to watch it and I think probably one of the reasons that you disliked it so much initially is that you have a much more writerly brain and you think about things narratively and the narrative isn't good. Like no, it's not. That's, and that's, it's funny because like, I don't think like, thank you for saying that by the way, but like, and I do think that's true, but it was sort of like an undeveloped writer's brain. Then I was able now rewatching it to really identify a lot of the problems <laughs> with the movie. Uh, so I like, uh, chief among them too. I don't even know who the protagonist is in this movie. Like I was really struggling with that. Of I like, I think it's hard to say that it's Anakin's movie because he shows up too late and he's just not. Like maybe it's Qui Gon Jinn's movie. It. I don't even know who are like because again, it, you know, original Star Wars trilogy is an ensemble, but it's Luke's story. Like that is clear. Yeah, and he's. Very much the central protagonist. Yeah, and I... Leia, Han, Chewie, the droids. Yeah. They're all ancillary characters. And I think, you know, the new trilogy, obviously, it's Rey. This, like, maybe it becomes Anakin in the subsequent movies, but in this one, it's really hard to say. I don't even know... We don't really have a character to ground us. Like, maybe it's Qui-Gon Jinn, but... And I think that's... um, And this is to talk about another thing that is... um, sort of suffering from the same thing is that it, almost 
they made these movies with almost the brand as the central character, the Star right. Wars brand. But it, um, and that is very much one of the major problems with another thing that I'm also very into professional wrestling <laughs> is the WWE um, is focused on the brand and not the stars. And they're suffering for it because you can't have one without the other. And yeah. it's, I think that's I think that's the thing is that it wasn't like this should have been Anakin's trilogy. Right. So we should open on Anakin. And, and again, it doesn't have to be the first shot because Luke's not the first shot. Like you can open with a Star Wars. You know, like you, right. do, you do the opening crawl, then you have some kind of space battle. But then again, like think of Luke looking at the twin sons of Tatooine at the very opening. We get that kind of like wistful music like you understand this is your protagonist. This is who we're going to be following. And the thing is, Luke isn't even he's a whiny, terrible character in that first. movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we love him. And like as a kid, I, I especially loved him. I. Anakin doesn't show up until really late into this movie. And it's they, at least the second act. And it's very understated, his his entry into the movie. And then it's just a lot of uh, very disturbing, by the way, watching it, rewatching it this time of like, essentially the plot is that two men in a cult show up to Tatooine and start telling a mother that her boy is really special and they need to take him away from her. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not good. <laughs> no. It's very and unsettling, all of the, it. The trilogy, it, and it was almost Obi-Wan's trilogy. Which would have like made you think sense, about, too. But it wasn't... But Phantom Menace is not Obi-Wan's movie. At all. He's very... Like, he is much less in it than I remembered. Like he's kind of an ancillary, like he's perhaps less an important character in this movie than he is in, you know, a new hope empire or Jedi where he shows up as a force ghost for eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of, he's around and he has that sweet haircut, but yeah, uh, like that dope ass ponytail. <laughs> With the little other ponytail. But like, no, I, and I think that's what's really missing, you know, and you hear the stories of how this movie was made and, and George Lucas as a director of just like, the, there's really not an emotional through line of the movie. Like we're really struggling to connect to any characters. We're really struggling to, to feel invested in what's happening. I mean, like, even if you just, if you love Star Wars and you say what the plot is, it sounds way more exciting than how it plays out in a two plus hour movie of like, well, okay. So queen Amidala, she has to, she's using a double because her life is in jeopardy. People want to kill her to get her to sign this agreement. And so, you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are assigned to protect her while people are trying to murder her. And meanwhile, they find the chosen one in the desert who wins a Ben her style, like pod race. And then comes back with them, but they Yoda senses something dark in him, and so they don't want the training to happen, but they want to train him anyway. And meanwhile, this badass devil with like a double bladed lightsaber is hunting them down and trying to murder them while and it all leads to this big orgy of a battle. That sounds great, and yet. <laughs> It's pretty much a slog to to yeah. sit through. <laughs> but it like when you talk about all of that, like that's so much to do in one movie. When oh, you think yeah. about what each of the other like the four, five, and six, what they did in their pieces. 
I mean, for the plot is there's a message and we got to give it to people so we can blow up the Death Star. It's as simple it's, of a like, like straightforward narrative. Yeah. And we didn't even like my description didn't even touch on the like. Meanwhile, there is, you know, palace intrigue as, you know, the guy who's clearly Emperor Palpatine, but yet the movie's playing it as if we're not sure that it's him is, you know, like... That's something I never got is like, granted, like they never say the word Palpatine in four, five and six. Oh, yeah. But it becomes common knowledge that it's Emperor Palpatine just through toys, <laughs> toys, yeah, books, just whatever. Whatever, like, I think the to yeah, the, yeah, the toys, everything is Emperor Palpatine, and you know just the fact that it's it's Ian McDiarmid who is a probably the, gives the best acting performance in the whole trilogy, movie oh, to movie. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, you know, just with one exception, but if we if we end up doing the uh, fan or the uh, Revenge of the Sith one, there's one part that I just think is so bad <laughs> that we'll not talk about that yet. Yeah. Um, but it's the same actor that played the Emperor in Return of the Jedi. Who's a very distinct actor, both in the way he looks and speaks. Yeah, it's and it has the same name. Mm -hmm. So, like, I guess you could play with the dramatic irony that he's going to become Emperor Palpatine at some point, that he is just Chancellor Palpatine. But it's... And I guess, I mean, they could have like played more with the fact that, like, there is this Darth Sidious, but, like, nobody knows who Darth Sidious is ever in yeah. the movies. Yeah. Like, they it, find out, like, right before Anakin turns in the third one that Darth Sidious is the, you know, because at first they think that Darth Maul is the mm -hmm. Sith Lord, like, the, the head Sith. Rule of Two is stupid, but that's a whole other. Yeah, that, they really boxed themselves in with that one. Um, no more, no that, less. It's like, well, yeah, maybe Count more. Dooku, who is Lord Tyran Darth Tyrannus. Yeah. It's also like, nice to have, like, they're the outlaw Jedis who turn to the dark side and they want to fuck things up, but they have this very strict rule about... That there can only be two of them. They're, they're, they're sticklers for rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... So yeah, it's yeah a lot of narrative, a lot of narrative problems in the movie. Yeah, and it's just like I said. I mean, it sounds like it should be better than it is. It is like yeah, probably. I mean, even the opening, like it's it's such a like slow burn to nothing of just like. Like there's no momentum, I think, at any point. There's the pod race and there's the final battle, but they they feel like these isolated incidents. You know, there's it doesn't. I also I had a funny moment too, like rewatching it now, of like just as a, like a a microcosm of the problems in this movie, which is like you you end on this beautiful battle that again is this like giant set pieces. At the time, it was fucking mind blowing, just to have all of these people to have just this massive like battle of you know dark versus light and they they have the bubble you know that like this is, this is what hit me though they have a protective shield around our heroes but which reminded me obviously of uh avengers infinity war it's a very similar thing to when they're in wakanda in that movie but you can see the difference between in infinity war where 
the you know whatever these like hellhounds are that uh, Thanos is unleashing throw themselves into the protective barrier and are going to just die in massive numbers and in order to just like get a small tear in it. In this movie, you have the droids walk right through it. Like with no, <laughs> like absolutely nothing impedes them. They can just walk. Th- and it's just like those kind of choices of like, okay, you've made this amazing set piece and then you do nothing with it. It's just because the bubble looks cool. Yeah. Uh, it's and (laughs) I think that's a good analogy for the especially this movie but really the whole trilogy just because the bubble looks cool yeah uh so what yeah for you though what what so you said you were more in the Lars camp and I guess over time (laughs) you felt differently or like what what is your experience with this movie I think we kind of skipped past that so the spectacle of this movie is fantastic Mm mm-hmm um, you know, just, I think like the big set pieces, uh, and uh, honestly, like one of the things that I liked the most as far as like the set pieces and stuff like that, and I think it was because it was one of the things that sort of surprised me is we knew about the double lightsaber from the trailers. Yeah. Like we knew there was going to be the pod racing scene, whatever from the trailers. Um, but like the Gungan city and like the trip through the planet core, like that was pretty much left out of the trailers. And I thought that was one of the coolest things yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Um, like Gunga city, when they first swim down and see it, like coming over the Ridge is just an awesome visual. Uh, you know, it's one of the better, probably to that point, one of the best like CGI matte paintings that had been done in a movie. Yeah. And then, you know, like all the different bubbles and then they go through the planet core with all the different monsters eating each other. Um, you know, all of that is, uh, is great. And, and, you know, the, the last battle, like sort of the, in a lot of ways, like took the, the form from return of the Jedi of like the land battle, the space battle, the lightsaber battle, and sort of did the nice cut betweens of the three. So you could see all of that. And like, that was all really cool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think every every problem with the Phantom Menace is a narrative problem. Yeah. No, like I said, again, I think we just don't invest enough in any of the characters. I don't even really feel like I understand, you know, what they want, like where they're at emotionally. Like there's just no emotional core to any of it. Where, again, like the, the original trilogy, it's every character feels really well defined immediately. And I understand exactly what they want. Like Luke wants off the planet. He, yeah, he wants to get out of there. Leia is leading a rebellion, you know, and just is defiantly, you know, spitting in the face of Darth Vader. Han Solo's out for himself, you know, like I just, it like somehow it's all muddled and they even muddle. They can't decide if Anakin wants to leave and go with them. He seems like he does, but then, when he's actually offered the chance, he doesn't because his mom can't go. And then he says he doesn't want anything to change, but like clearly he does. Like, yeah, it's just that weird kind of like, and then even stuff like it's just sort of thrown out there where Qui-Gon's like, well, I'm going to start training him and Obi-Wan, like you're ready for the trials. Like you're ready to become a Jedi Knight. And like, we don't even know what any of that really means or like, did he, is he excited to be ready for the trials? Has he been planning for this? Was he pushing for that? Was there a reason? Yeah, I would he say the wasn't... only one with a clear want is Qui-Gon Jinn. 
Yeah. He wants to he wants kidnap to train this, Anakin once he meets Anakin. He wants to kidnap this boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly the clearest through line uh, that exists through the movie. And then, yeah, they kind of get way too cute with this idea, too, of Padme, like, being, you know, in disguise. But we never really understand that enough to really get what she's doing. Like, she's obviously protecting herself. But, like, the other, like, the imposter Padme, like, is just the, you know, in charge, essentially, for, like, half the first half of the movie. Like, it's very unclear, like, the way they've set it up, like... Couldn't that woman just be like, no, I'm the real Padme, arrest her. Like, throw her in jail. I'm I'm this now. Like, Well, and especially because if you read, like, any of the background stuff and they sort of hint at it at various points and never dive too deeply, the queen of Naboo is elected. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a hereditary queen. <laughs> like, like, by the time we get to the second one, Padme is just not queen anymore. Yeah, it's... You know, why the, not? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, and then there's also, of course, the the always weird optics of the decision to have Natalie Portman and Jake Lloyd knowing full well that you're going to have them be romantically linked when he is a small boy who meets her. <laughs> like Right. And, like, I think she was actually 15 or 16, so closer-ish to the age of her character. Like, I think Natalie Portman, the actress, but at the same time, like... Ugh. It's just a weird dynamic. Like, it's yeah. just... Yeah, I don't understand... It's like a kid who has a crush on his babysitter and then, like, ends up dating his babysitter when they're adults. That is essentially... Yeah, and, then like, at a time when his mother was stripped away and he was probably looking for a mother figure. <laughs> like, it's just oh. not... But, I, again, this is uh, the follow-up to the trilogy about the... Uh, brother-sister kissers so i mean i guess it's right not. you know which i always forget that like obviously much has been said about that but we forget that lucas doubled down on that like it's not just once like well she gives him the kiss on the cheek for good luck yeah and then she like full mouth kisses him in empire yeah which that's what i'm saying you that's the second movie you were way closer i forgive you for not knowing in new hope what's up but like well, <laughs> and it, it's almost like they didn't have the script done when they shot that scene yeah. because as Luke's flying away, you know, Yoda delivers his, there is another, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. and they sure they flesh it out in the next movie, but like, I have to assume that a big budget thing like Star Wars, like didn't just start shooting before the script was done. No, especially, but the, like they were going to give him room to maybe the first one, you know, they might have re been rewriting the script, but you would hope that for Empire they weren't. And I'm, I mean, rewrites always, I'm sure, always happen, you know, throughout everything. But yeah, I. Uh, all right. Well, I feel like <laughs> I don't know how we're doing on this silver lining playback of like now we've just shit all over. Like, <laughs> well, it's because the errors are so glaring. Yeah. The, and and the silver lining. Is I, th I think it's it's the spectacle. Um, you know, it's the first movie with fully realized CG characters that, honestly, like, I think they still hold up pretty ooh, well. Ooh, I don't know. I didn't, I think they hold up okay. They don't, they didn't look great. I mean, I, you know, humble brag, I watched them on a 4K TV, but. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's definitely aged. I mean, it it was revolutionary for the time. Uh, I now they the you know everybody looks a little too shiny. The whole thing looks very fluorescent looks lighting, too, too shiny. Yeah, I think yeah. I think dropping that uh, <laughs> the brightness but levels like, on this movie would do it a lot of favors. But like the the CGI characters, they look like CGI characters. You know. Yeah, but but like they still like they kind of look like they're in the world. They don't look like Roger Rabbit cartoons walking around. Yeah, uh, but you also I don't know the there's a lot of people that I believe to be good actors struggling to uh, deliver lines to tennis balls. You know. Yeah. But uh, um, I I mean I but I'm not like I agree with you on the spectacle I. I would kind I of bra- say like oh. even the uh, like the the droid Gungan battle at the end, like there is not a real camera shot in that scene. Yeah. And it doesn't look like Toy Story. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. No, that's very true. Uh, and I like it, it. It doesn't look any less real than anything else that's happening in that movie. Yeah. No, I would agree. Uh, I also I, I want to give a special shout out. Like I, I have a couple little things. Uh, and then I do kind of have like a bigger silver lining. Uh, one is I love the droids. I really do. And yeah, uh, they Molly and I like to joke. Uh, they kind of remind us of our dog. <laughs> like they're just like and maybe that was by design. <laughs> Lucas is smart in that respect of just like them just marching around and going Roger, Roger. And just like they're they're little dopey droids that like I think they do a good job of both justifying why they have them and also explaining why the the empire moved away from them <laughs> of like this was the best yeah. we had but they're kind of dopey cannon fodder essentially right uh but they're really fun i also uh i had forgotten about and really found myself loving uh no shell c3po just all wire yeah. c3po is really fun uh so although it does raise the question of why young Anakin uh, was designing a protocol droid. <laughs> like, why Why a young slave boy thought the best use of his time was like, what if we get a robot that's real good at etiquette? That's what we need. To help mom around the house. <laughs> With her, like, tap dancing? Like, what? <laughs> With all of her uh, tea parties. Yeah, with her tea parties. <laughs> Shmi was a, a big bon vivant in the Mos Espa social scene. I always got the impression that when Luke uh, and Owen bought C-3PO to to talk to their like moisture bots or whatever in the, the first movie, that they were just kind of like, they were buying, you know... A robot, a droid that like was way overqualified for the task that they were acquiring him for was the impression. Are you talking about in Star Wars? In the original, like a new hope that like they're just like, well, he's here. So like, we'll get him because he will be helpful. But like, we don't need this guy. This guy's like way too, (laughs) you know. Well, he does speak bocce. But it's like, it would be like if you hired, you know, like a Michelin star rated chef to like cook your fries at McDonald's. Like he can do it, but I'm not sure why that's a good use of anyone's time or his skills. Right. 
So it's just weird. Like, why that is Anakin... he making me a turkey? Why is he my sandwich artist at some point? <laughs> exactly. So it's I'm not sure why Anakin is making C-3PO, but that's who knows? Maybe he gets an upgrade at some point. Uh, well, and that's I mean, there is a very, very short list of like truly good prequels out there. Yeah. It's like be- period. Better Call Saul. I think that's the list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and like the because, uh, yeah, Better Call Saul, and, and it's and it's a prequel just because they examine a different character. Like it's it, not like a show about Walter White teaching chemistry is not interesting. Well, no, and that's the mistake that's always made is. If a prequel is just checking off boxes of things you're waiting to happen, it's never good. It, it's if it can somehow enhance the world or your understanding of things, then it's really nice. Or if it's just its own story that just takes place before the other one. But yeah, people fall into the trap of getting really winky, like getting really uh, just overly invested. So it's it's always a tough thing. And I think with these movies in particular, you had so much fan expectation you know, of people have been dreaming about seeing new Star Wars. But I I promised that we are getting to the silver lining, which I keep just dis- detracting myself from. But I mean this sincerely, and I think this is what you're... You are touching on this, but I to broaden it out a little bit, I think what George Lucas has always been amazing at and what he is still amazing at in this movie is just world building. Mm-hmm. Is just, you know, and I think this is where he is far superior to the newer trilogy is that he gave his movies. These movies feel like star Wars, but those movies are like, what if you go to all the places you've already seen? And he really extended it out. And we're like, here are places that you've never seen that still feel like star Wars. And you touched on, obviously like we get to see shit underwater. Like there's, you know, that idea, which is really cool. There's Coruscant, which is this like, really huge you know, city that we've never seen a city like that before we saw a cloud right. city but that was still very felt like a small. space station and it was small like this is a full-on city at the height and just like the jedi temples the way that they look and you know these characters that we've never seen i, I think that is what he's brilliant at is just like that all exists in his head and he creates this new like the amount of playgrounds that he created and you can see it in you know, the Clone Wars TV show or just, again, these novels and stuff like what he just gave to the world in terms of like, here are new sandboxes to explore. Like he fumbled the execution of what he did with them, but he definitely gave a lot of new areas and new characters and and just new worlds to explore, which I think is great. And I, I think they look great. They're beautiful. And it just makes... Star Wars, the world feels so much larger than it did before this movie came out. I think you did it. Yeah, I feel good I think, about I, that. I think no, I think I think that is it. I think, um, and the more you talk about how good George Lucas is at world building and at like vision and at spectacle and at set pieces and things like that, the closer you get you run the risk of talking about how bad he is at a lot of other necessary pieces of storytelling. Well, right. And I, I will forever be confounded by why George Lucas didn't bring some other people in. I mean, it's, 
you know, this is well-worn territory. I'm not the first to point this out, but, uh, you know, it's pretty much universally agreed on, you know, not, nothing's universally, but as close to a consensus as there is that Empire Strikes Back is the best of the original trilogy. That mm-hmm. movie was neither the screenplay nor the, you know, directing were done by George Lucas. Like he, right. he wrote the story, like he contributed to the story, but like someone else did a pass on the screenplay, someone else directed it. Like, uh, you know, so the uh, in Return of the Jedi was also not directed by George Lucas. You know, like I just yeah, that's a little fuzzier that one. But that one's. But my point is, like, I don't know why he didn't bring someone else in, and I think that's been talked about that even he maybe wanted other people to direct. But at least like screenwriting, bring in some screenwriters, man. Like you could have someone could have taken this script and did like one J.J. Abrams style pass on it to just trim the fat and give it like a sense of pace. And it would have been like, you could cut 40 minutes out of this movie and make it a much more exciting. <laughs> like, Well, and yeah, and I mean, that doesn't even get into the idea that these prequels didn't tell the correct story anyway. Well, right. Well, also the, I mean, if you really want to get at it, I don't know that this movie needs to exist. <laughs> Yeah. Like, of all the prequels, this one is the most superfluous. Like, there isn't anything that happens in Phantom Menace that couldn't just be explained in the next movie. (laughs) Almost like the Phantom Menace almost could have, like, been the Rogue One to whatever the actual Episode One's title crawl was. Yeah. Yeah, this is the work that, (laughs) that, like, you do behind the scenes to understand... I mean, and that's a whole, I think you and I have talked about this before. I've, I've always felt, and I think that you're with me on this, that like the, the third prequel should be the second one. And there should be a whole nother movie where Darth Vader is Darth Vader. And like, you know, that we actually get to see that for a while. You know, you ended these prequel trilogies at the most interesting part. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean... I've I've said a, a thousand times that I think that Anakin either should have turned at the end of episode two or the beginning of episode three. Yeah. And then had a whole movie that is just, you know, you keep Padme alive and it's, you know, just this race to like save the children. <laughs> or, I mean, or it's even a mo- like dramatic irony where Anakin's living a double life and people don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot you could have done, but I just, the, I mean, we'll save that for when we get to the third movie, but. Uh, yeah, um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. No, I think, I think the silver lining is that it, it also reopened, I think the big silver lining is that it did reopen the book of Star Wars. Yep. And it, again. Like As a visual medium. Yeah. Because and, there were books, there were video games, there, you know, but there wasn't TV, there wasn't cartoons there was you know not in a big way like the last time star wars released new visual content was what like the ewok movies like after jedi came out yeah probably yeah and just you know you could definitely argue that we got to where we are for both good and bad reasons because of uh these prequels like they both sort of expanded the world and reinvigorated an interest in star wars and also were so disliked that they convinced George Lucas to stop making Star Wars movies, which, like, uh, you know, led Disney to take over. That's how we get the Mandalorian. That's how, you know, 
we end up where we're at. So, I mean, there's all of that. I also, I mean, there's plenty of other little silver linings, I think, which, uh, I mean, we touched on Darth Maul, uh, obviously, who's just great. Like, even, I would argue, criminally underutilized in this movie. Oh, even more underutilized than Boba Fett in the four, five, and six. Yes. Yeah. And more justifiably, like, does more cool stuff in the limited time that we see him than Boba Fett does. <laughs> but, like, just... Yeah. And, I mean, and we could all talk about, like, rebooking a lot of the narrative beats, but that's not this show. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that... It, <laughs> I always, like, I'm trying to be positive and then I keep... It's not in my nature <laughs> to be positive. <laughs> no, wanna... you are a cynical myth misanthrope. But, but... uh... No, I think the other thing that we haven't talked about that ties into Darth Maul is the advancement in lightsaber battles in these movies versus like, look, man, I love those original movies. I can't view them critically. Uh, they they just exist in my heart. But when you go back and you watch A New Hope and it's a man, oh, you know, it's, so it's, bad. It's, it's was it David Prowse in like a clunky suit fighting, and you know, Sir Alec Guinness and they're slowly poking at each other <laughs> yeah with their laser swords versus you know ray park is doing like flips and somersaults and kicking and he's fighting you know two guys with a double bladed lightsaber like everyone is so much more acrobatic and the lightsaber battles are so much more fun and we get duel of the fates which i think you know like just feels That's, like it always existed in the Star Wars universe, but like didn't come from this. And that might be the best piece of music that John Williams has done. No, it's amazing, and it adds so much, and it adds so much to the movie. It adds so much to those scenes. We got that Star Wars kid video, you know, like sent to that. Uh, so I think that, and obviously, I mean, it's a slam dunk to always say that a silver lining of any Star Wars movie, good or bad, is always going to be uh, John Williams' score is fantastic yeah. and iconic. And, you know, it's great and it feels super epic. And, yeah, we get great lightsaber battles. We get Darth Maul, uh, which, again, is he's a good example with the world building of I do like that, you know, people were like, no, what if he lived? Which I always thought, by the way, like I remember watching this movie and even though he got cut in half, I was like, well, he's going to have robot legs. That's how we're foreshadowing Darth Vader. Like, they're going to bring back, like, a half-robot Darth Maul. Like, you don't just get rid of this character. And then I was sad for two movies, but... And then they didn't. <laughs> but no, but Darth Maul's... Solo happened. But, again, and I, I loved him showing up in Solo, and I... I did, too. Like, it's a shame that we're never going to get any more with that, because people didn't like Solo, but... Uh, you know, it was well, it was nice to see another show altogether. Yeah, I didn't like Solo, but uh, but yeah. So I do you feel good about this? Did we did we? Properly, I think we did it. I think we did it. All right. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, Phantom Menace. It it was it has some good stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we had to get the silver lining down to a sentence, it reopened the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I think that's it. I like it. I feel good about it, uh, and uh, and yeah. So I next week is Attack of the Clones, right? That's the next. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna try to do the silver lining of that, <laughs> which is, is uh, fun foreshadowing for that episode. Uh, the the worst one. Oh, no, by far. <laughs> 
which also, spoiler alert, I have not seen since I watched in a movie theater. So, <laughs> so as of this nice. recording, I have not revisited it yet. So excellent, can't right. wait. But yeah, all right, man. Uh, until then, <laughs> may the force until be with you. Then. This is <laughs> keep looking for those silver linings. Yeah, keep reaching for the stars and looking for those. So we got to work on a. Uh, yeah, we got to find a good sign off. We'll, we'll uh, get there. If you have a good sign off suggestion for us, like, share, and subscribe, and <laughs> right. send us an email. <laughs> We're out. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio, a weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network.